All right, so we're gonna talk about confidence. We can see it, um, obviously, um, in your bulletins. We, we can put our confidence in a lot of things, and oftentimes when we run into times of difficulty, um, we find out really where our confidence truly lies. The thing that we put our trust in, the thing that we put our hope in, um, when, the thing, when, when difficulty run, comes into us, our lives, we can see what confidence, um, where our confidence sits. And we can see that oftentimes by the, the anxiety that comes out of things, the things we start to look to when we're frustrated or when we're scared. And today we're going to read in Psalm 27 how David handles confidence and what, where he finds his confidence and where we uh, this morning can find our confidence as well. So I'm going to read the text, we're going to pray, and then I have four, uh, four places we can find confidence, four ways David shows us here in this psalm um, where we can find confidence. All right, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing that I have asked of the Lord and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent, and he will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and I will make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off and forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. But I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for uh, your faithfulness. God, thank you that your faithfulness is not something that you simply do, but God, faithful is who you are. Lord, we thank you that we can look to who you are and to what you do as we navigate the challenges uh, in our lives, as we navigate the good times, as we navigate the bad times, as we navigate circumstances. Lord, I pray that our focus would be upon you. Lord God, I just pray that you would speak uh, through your word this morning. God, that you would illuminate it to us, that you would open up the eyes of our hearts to be able to see it, to internalize it, to be able to be transformed by it. Lord, I pray today that we would be transformed by your Holy Spirit, by, the, by your word. God, that it wouldn't be something that I say this morning, God, but it would be your living and active word that, that pierces to the depths of our souls. So God, I pray today that you would pierce our souls to the depths, God, with your word that you'd reveal to us our idols, that you would reveal to us where we find our confidence. And God, I pray that we would walk away hopeful 
and we would walk away loving you and cherishing you more than we ever have. We ask these things in your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 27. So just in way of context, because we love context here at Oaks Church, at least I do, is Psalm 27 is, we, is written by David. We don't know when it was written or what David is talking about in particular. This could have been when he was fleeing from Absalom. It could have been when he was fleeing from Saul. It could have been towards the end of his life when he was going into battle as an old man and having to be rescued by the younger men around him because he was in his 60s and going to battle. There, were, there could have been, a, a, you know, could have been myriad things. But we know enough about David's life and we know enough about David's challenges and we know enough from the other Psalms that David finds his confidence in the Lord. When he goes through, we can see it obviously in Psalm 28 and then Psalm 29 and then Psalm 30. Like he's, he's consistently doing that. And we know that, we, that the, the things that he's talking about here, he's experienced like multiple times. If you read through First and Second Samuel, like he constantly has adversaries. He constantly has people talking bad about him. Like he constantly is running away from people trying to kill him. Like he's constantly being forsaken. So when David's talking here in Psalm 27, he could be talking about any number of situations. But regardless of what the situation is, it was one that he was walking through and felt very honest about. So today, I believe that we can find confidence. And by confidence, I mean trust and faith. We can find confidence in four things um, out of Psalm 27. The first is confidence is found in who God is. So that's my first point today. Confidence is found in who God is. And we can see this in a few places in these 14 verses. You can see it right there in verse 1. The Lord is what? The Lord is my light and the Lord is my salvation. So, and then he says, whom shall I fear? The back half of verse 1. We can see that he is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And if you jump down even to verse 9, where it says, hide not your face from me, turn not your servant away in anger, O oh, you have, who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O oh God of my salvation. So he's, there's a, you can see it there in verse 9, and then even down in verse 13, we can see that God is good. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. So David starts by rooting his confidence, not in his ability and not in his circumstances or his resources or his ability to perform, but he, he roots his confidence first and foremost in who God is. He points first to his character. So when we look throughout the, throughout the entirety of scripture, we, we talk about identity a lot. God's identity defines what he does just as much as our identities define what we do. We've learned a lot about this over the last handful of months, where when it says to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, it's usually preceded by the word therefore, which is usually preceded by talking about who we are. It's, not, it's no different with God. When we start with the character of God, God is only going to act inconsistent. He's going to act consistently, in, yeah, consistently with his character. Because God cannot lie, and God cannot sin, and God cannot fail, and God cannot be wrong. So when it says that God is light, that means that he is going to bring light into our lives. When, he says that, when God says that he is love, that means that he is going to be loving. When God says that he is faithful, that means that he is going to be faithful. Because God's identity always moves into what he does. So the character of God is where David starts. David doesn't start with, what, he doesn't even start with what God does. 
He starts with who God is. So if we don't understand who's, who God is, if we don't understand the character of God, if we do not understand the majesty of God, if we do not understand the unchanging, unshakable, unbreakable nature of God, we are not going to trust what he says. We're not going to. We're not going to believe it. We're not going to believe that what he does is consistent with who he is. Our view of God directly correlates with how, our view of God directly correlates to how confident in him we will be. So if we have a low view of God, we're not going to put our confidence in him first. We're going to put our confidence in something else. If we don't think God can perform, guess who we think can perform? Us. Like, I fall into that trap pretty much daily, where I'm like, well, God, it doesn't look like you're you're, you're sort of coming through for me, so I'm going to take care of this, and then if I run into some roadblocks, I'll let you know, and you can maybe perhaps come in and help me uh, when you feel like it. But it's because my view of the Lord is low. And some people have, uh, some of us, probably, have a mis, not, not do we have a mis, not a low view of God, but maybe we have a misplaced view of God, where we may believe that God can do something, that God is all-powerful, that God is completely sovereign, that God is in control over all things. We may believe that to be true, but we don't believe that he's love. So we believe, oh yeah, God can do it, but he won't do it for me, because we have a misplaced view of God. The attributes of God are not ones that we can just pick and choose based upon our circumstances, but the attributes of God are ones that we get to look at in the whole. So if we do not believe that God is caring, then why would we believe that he cares about us? If we do not believe that God is love, why do we think that he would love us? If we do not believe that God is patient, then why would, you think, why would we think that he's going to be patient with us? And if we do not see our God as savior, we are gonna end up just trying to save ourselves. So David, just like all of us, need, he starts with the view of God. His view of God is the first and foremost thing. He looks to who God is, and his confidence is rooted in who he is. Secondly, confidence is found in what God does. And we can see this in the following verses, verse 2. So he said, or yeah, so I mean, in verse one, we can even see it. So the Lord is my light and my salvation. So that's who God is. So what does God, what does God do? He takes away fear. Whom shall I fear? David is making a determination based upon who God is. Same thing there. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Who's God? The stronghold. What's David's response to God? He believes that God is going to take away his fear. Who, who am I going to be afraid of if God is the stronghold? David is making an argument. Verse 2, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. So because God is his light and because God is his salvation and because God is his stronghold, guess who falls? Not him. His enemies fall. Because God will always come through on who he is. We see it again in verse 5. Because God is his light, because God is his salvation, because the Lord is the stronghold of his life, verse 5, he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. We see it again. God will conceal me under the rock, under the cover of his tent. 
He will lift me high above the rock. Verse six, and now my head shall be lifted up above all of my enemies around me. And we can even see it down in verse 10 as well. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. David puts his confidence first and foremost in the character of God. But the character of God will always follow. Like what God does will always follow his character. So David believes these things because of who God is, because God is always consistent with who he reveals himself to be. So when we doubt the faithfulness of God in our lives and when we lose confidence in his presence and in his nearness, we can look to what God has done to encourage us. I mean, we can look at, I mean, if you look at even just most of the Psalms, like especially the first half of the book, like the psalmists are, what, are recounting the great and marvelous deeds of God. They're remembering. They're remembering that he delivered them out of Egypt. He's, they're remembering that he parted the Red Sea. They're remembering that a cloud of smoke and a pillar of fire led them through the desert. They're remembering that they gave him, he gave them manna to eat and quail in the wilderness. They're remembering the conquest of Canaan and how they were rescued from battle over and over and over again. They're remembering the walls of Jericho falling and them being able to take the city. They're remembering They're consistently remembering. Why? Because what God has done is an indicator of what he will do. So in each and every one of our lives, in my life, it's easy for me to get jammed up on my situation and in my difficulty and in my sadness and in my frustration as if God hasn't come through for me up to this point. I forget. The indictment that God has against the Israelites consistently throughout Scripture is not necessarily that they're always doing something wrong. It's that they're forgetting the goodness of God. They're running to other idols because they don't believe that God is good. I mean, you remember the Israelites, they're wandering around in the desert, and they say, what do they say? They don't say, oh, well, God has rescued us this far. He's going to carry it through. They say, I wish we could go back to Egypt. At least we had, like, pots of meat there instead of this manna that God sent us from heaven. (laughs) It's just like a ridiculous statement. It's like... God literally sends you bread from heaven and you're like, ah, you know what? This stuff, this stuff isn't as flavorful as I'd like it. I'm going to go back to slavery and eat some, you know, stew with parsley in it or whatever, you know? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So it's easy for me to look at them and be like, those guys are idiots. Like, what are they thinking? But in my own life, I tend to run into a situation, run into a challenge, and, and I take it into my own hands and then I, I fail and then I get mad at God that I failed at my own thing that I took into my own hands and then I finally ask him for help. When I can look back over my entire life and I can see the goodness of God. And I'm sure that each and every one of us can look back over our own lives and we can see that most of, most of us, if not all of us, can look over our lives and say that we are here because of the of the grace of God in our lives, not because of our hard work, not because we lined it all up, not because we made everything happen, but because God is gracious and God is merciful and God is just and God is loving and God cares about each and every one of us. So when we look at our confidence, it's easy for us to have self-confidence because we think we can do it all, but it's easy also we, what we should be doing is we should be looking to the character of God. We should be looking to what God does. And then that should obviously push through into 
what we do. So as we can see in this psalm and as we see in many of these psalms, they're reflections of what God has done and the deliverance that we have in him. But the Bible is, like, the Bible is obviously full of all of these things. I, this is why I just love, I love the Psalms. I'm just going to tell you. Because, I'm just going to tell you why I love them. Because they allow us to live in the tension of the, of the promises of God and our felt reality. Like, they, they, they allow us to live in the tension of these two things. Because oftentimes when we read a Psalm like this, we're like, okay, I need to have confidence in God. So when somebody says, like, how are you doing? You go, God is good. When, you, when, you, when somebody says, hey, how are you handling this situation? You're like, oh, well, you know, the Lord's in control. And what we end up doing is instead of us being honest with our circumstances and honest with God and the way that we're navigating them, we end up pretending that confidence means ignorance. Where we say, oh, well, I'm really confident in God, therefore I'm not allowed to be sad. I'm not allowed to mourn. I'm not allowed to be angry. I'm not allowed to feel distant. I'm not allowed to feel confused. I'm not allowed to feel frustrated. I'm not allowed to feel like God is unfaithful. And so what David does here in this psalm is he kind of makes this turn. He makes this turn in verse six, or verse seven. And this is my third point. We can find confidence in being honest with God. We can find confidence in our relationship with God in the ability for us to remain honest about our circumstances. And we'll just read it right here. David goes from one through six, he's like, God is great, who am I gonna fear? How, like, he's the stronghold of my life, How, who am I gonna be afraid of? These people are gonna stumble and fall, an army's gonna encamp against me, I'm gonna be confident, he's gonna hide me in the shelter, he's gonna conceal me under the cover of the tent, he's gonna lift me high on the rock. Like, he's going, he's just going full confidence in God. And then what does he do in verse seven? Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me and turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off and forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. So he makes this turn of, of having all of this confidence, speaking all of this truth, and then he shifts and he's like, God, where are you? He goes, don't turn your face away from me. Don't abandon me. Don't walk away from me. You're my salvation. What, where are you? David, <laughs> David doesn't pretend like everything is fine. And it's okay that you don't, that everything is not fine. It's okay to, 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 to sit in and to mourn and to be honest with God about the circumstances and the situations. Confidence is not pretending like everything is fine. Our confidence is found in God. Our confidence is found in who he is. Our confidence is found in what he does. But because Christ has, has, has given us access to God in a way that we did not have, we are able to approach God as our Father with our honesty and with our frustrations. And, and I think this is, I'm, I'm just, this, is, this, is, this has been something that has been really helpful for me over the last handful of years, for me, is that I used to think this exact thing. I used to think that if, if I feel angry and frustrated 
at God, that means that I don't believe that he's faithful. And that, that's not necessarily true. And the times when I, had, I just ignored how I was feeling about God, and I ignored talking to him about it, and I ignored processing it with other people and with him, it just made me more bitter towards him for not coming through. I've experienced a lot of loss in the last, you know, two or three years of my life. You know, one of my best friend's daughters passed away, and my sister passed away, and, like, we had a, we had a church split that really fractured our community, and, like, we've just been through, we've been through a lot. And my tendency was to just say, God is good, everything works together for good, God is faithful, he's going to work it out, everything's fine. And what ends, up, what ends up happening in my heart is I end up just becoming bitter at God for not following through on these promises that I'm looking at in these pages. When really what God wants out of us is not just some sort of like lip service of his confidence, but he wants us to engage with him. He wants us to pray to him. He wants us to vent to him. He wants us to talk to him. He wants us to be honest with him. But David doesn't leave his honesty on the floor and walk away, but he roots his honesty in who God is and what he does. Verse 9, he says, Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. So he's being honest. But then what's he do? He says, Oh, you who have been my help. He says, I'm feeling this way. Please do not turn me away because you have been my help. Cast me not off and forsake me not. Why? Because you are the God of my salvation. Honesty always is paired with truth. Our honesty with God is all, it never, our honesty with God never becomes unmoored from the anchor of hope that we have in him. It just never does. So in the midst of our circumstances being very difficult, in the midst of our anger, in the midst of our loss, we are allowed to be angry and frustrated. But that anger and frustration always needs to be moored, always needs to be tied to the character and the work of God in our lives. So David looks to who God is. David looks to what he has done. He trusts the relationship that he has with God to be honest with him. And then lastly, and probably most importantly, we can see that confidence is found in desiring God most. So we can see that confidence is found in who God is. Confidence is found in what God does. Confidence is found in, in honesty with him. And then lastly, confidence is found in desiring God most. And we can see this in verse 4. One thing that I have asked of the Lord and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And we can see that even in verse eight where he says, you have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, Lord, your face do I seek. And then verse 11, he says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. And you could even see it in verse, you know, 13 and 14. Like, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David has confidence in God because he knows who God is for sure. He has confidence in God because he knows that God has done good things and he will do good things in the future. God has, David has confidence in God because of his honesty and his relationship with him. 
But the thing that brings David the most confidence is not that God is going to come through on beating his enemies. David doesn't have confidence just because God's going to fill his bank account up, that he's going to save his kids, that he's going to heal him of his diseases. But David has confidence because the thing that he wants the most is not what God gives him, but he wants God himself. Verse four is just a perfect example of this. One thing I have asked of the Lord and that I will seek after. One thing, not, he doesn't say great things in my life. He doesn't say vanquish all of my enemies. He doesn't say heal all of my diseases. He does not say make sure that my life goes perfectly. Make sure that I get a job. Make sure that I, I'm successful. The one thing that, that David asks for And the one thing that David seeks after is that he may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Too often we can lose confidence in God when we read Psalms like this because we don't feel like he delivers on his promises. But oftentimes we feel that way because we think that God's number one interest in our lives is to solve all of our problems. When really, the thing that we should be focused on the most is Him. This, this really, this particular psalm and this particular um, point um, really hit home for me um, last year where, um, forgive me, I'll tell another Jane story, I guess, is uh, we were, it was... It was the last week of January, and uh, it was the first week of February in um, 2021. And um, I'm sitting in the hospital with Jane. She had, uh, she was just really sick, and we were, in, we were in Southern California, and the hospital that we were at did not allow you to swap visitors. Like, she could have a visitor, but that visitor badge wasn't transferable. So my mom and my brother were there, but they were not allowed to come up and see her. I was the only one that was allowed to come in, in and out. And we were in, uh, we were in the hospital for five, almost six days. And I'm just, you know, her liver's starting to fail, and she's just looking really rough. And, and I'm just, I'm sitting there on her bedside as she's sleeping, and I'm, and I'm praying for her, and I'm reading this psalm over her, kind of over and over and over again. And I'm, I'm believing it, you know, like, like we're going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. We're going to wait for the Lord and we're going to take courage and we're going to be strong. You know, like you're going to like, even though this army, you know, of, of cancer, I guess, was in my mind, uh, was encamped against her, you know, like you are going to, the Lord is going to deliver and he was going to heal and he was going to transform. He's going to change. And I'm, I'm just reading this over her and, um, and I'm going, you know, and I'm like, the Lord's my light and my salvation, and I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust, I'm going to believe, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And the Lord did answer a lot of our prayers that week. Um, she didn't want to die in the hospital. That was one thing that she was always very adamant about, was she didn't want to die in sterile air under fluorescent lights, but she wanted to, if she was going to go, she wanted to go not in, in that environment. And so the Lord came through, and we were, we were, released from the hospital. Her liver had improved. She was looking a little bit better. We got her home. She was able to spend time with my mom and my brother and my family. 
And then, then six days later, she, she dies. She goes home to be with the Lord. And I was so angry and so disillusioned and so frustrated that God didn't answer my, God didn't answer Psalm 27 for me. I was so mad. I was like, how, like, is this not true? Are all these things that we read not true? And I felt that, you know, gentle but firm, gentle but firm voice in my head or that impression that I felt that the Lord did answer my prayers of Psalm 27. Because the one thing that Jane really wanted and the one thing that she really sought and the one thing that she really valued was to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and to see the beauty of the Lord and to inquire at his feet and to see her Savior face to face. So when we don't see things improving in our lives and we don't feel like God is faithful because he's not answering our specific prayers, we need to know and realize that our confidence is not found in him doing what we ask him to do, but because of Christ's work on the cross, our, our confidence is found in the fact that we do not have to fear death and we do not have to fear what comes next, but we get to look forward to the beauty of the Lord forever. So to put all of this sort of in perspective, we want the Lord to work and move in our individual lives, and he does, and he will, and he always is faithful to keep his promises. But the ultimate promise that he keeps and the ultimate gift that he gives us is not that we live a long, healthy life It's not that our bank accounts are full and our friends love us and the community thinks we're great people and, you know, that our church is growing and that, you know, our kids are well-behaved and they get into the right schools and they go on to have, we have great grandkids. And then, you know, like, God wants good things for us for sure. But the hope that we have are not all, any of those things. The hope that we have is that because Christ has defeated death, we can have life. So in our own lives, in my own life, I think the, the major question that I have to answer today is, is verse four true for me? The, is, the, is the one thing that I ask and the one thing that I seek to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? to gaze upon his beauty and to inquire in his temple is the number one thing in my life to be with Jesus. Because without that, all of this means nothing. Sorry, I'm gonna be like (laughs) real depressing here. None None of this means anything. Our lives are a mist, they're a vapor in the wind, they will come and they will go. The things that we have here will never satisfy us. The things that we put our focus in, the things that we value, the things that we uphold, all of them will pass away, even the good things. 
But we as followers of Jesus need to ask the Lord to make verse verse 4 true for us. Because without that, we are going to live disillusioned, frustrated, and bitter lives towards God because he didn't keep the promises that we felt like he made to us. So as we continue in our worship today, as we sing this psalm, as we sing it some more, as we even walk into our community groups and our li- just our lives together, I would really encourage you, I mean, it's going to be my prayer this week, that verse 4 becomes the truest thing. And don't get me wrong, like, I'm a proponent of praying for healing, for praying for deliverance, for praying for good things. Because God is a good God, he's a good father, and wants to give good gifts to his children. But they are not the ultimate thing. And if we get verse 4 right, guess what? The rest of our lives are going to fall into place in the way that the Lord wants them to. But when we start chasing after the other stuff and putting in confidence in the other stuff, we're, gonna, we're just going to feel frustrated. And we're going to feel sad and we're going to feel angry. And we're not ultimately going to have the satisfaction that the Lord desires to give us. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we love you and, and thank you, God, and praise you for your amazing love and, and, and our lives and confidence that you have allowed us to have in you. God, I pray that you would, uh, that you would make verse four true for us today. God, that we would seek after you most, first and foremost. We'd seek after you in a way that we never have before. God, that we would be able to see the perspective of an eternal, like an eternal perspective. God, that we would be able to see things from a higher level, not in the, not in the weeds, not tactically day-to-day, worried about this, that, this, that, and this, that. But God, I pray that we would be able to see you as our ultimate goal. And God, I just pray to, as well, God, I just pray for healing for Chris. God, I just pray that you would, that you would work and that you would move. God, in a miraculous way. We know that you are a wonder-working God, that we see you working wonders all through the scriptures. And God, we ask, humbly ask that you would do that uh, for my brother and my friend. And, and God, I just pray that you would continue to, to allow this church and these people, God, to, to not be afraid and not be anxious and not be scared and, and not be angry but Lord, I pray that, that you would increase their faith in you. And Lord, I pray that you would help, uh, help Oaks, God, help us uh, really learn what the body of Christ looks like. That the church is not Chris, the church is, is us, working together for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. So God, I pray that you would, you would do that work in our lives, that you would do that work in our hearts, that you'd bring healing to my friends, and that you would comfort us, God, and give us confidence in the goodness of you. We love you, God. We ask these things in your beautiful name. Amen.